Destination for Greatness, Episode 9. One of the things that I've done well over the course of my life is, is serve other people, allow them to make money. I don't have a single revenue stream where I'm the only person who makes money. Anytime I make money, at least one other person, and oftentimes two or three other people are also making money. This is the final call for all entrepreneurs heading towards Destination for Greatness who are craving for a boost in self-confidence and self-belief. And entrepreneurs who aspire every day to live a life full of fun and freedom and who wish to impact the world while they soar with greatness. Is it possible to put the final pieces of your puzzle together? Find out for yourself. Now, let's buckle up because here's your host of greatness, Sohan Gokern. Welcome, 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 welcome to Destination for Greatness, Greatness Tribe. I'm so excited today to bring you on this episode because I've got one of the best speakers in the world and I'm honored and also so humbled to have Chris Widener. Chris, welcome to our show. I really, really hope today's going to be one of the finest episodes that we can create in the last week. Uh, and I say that because uh, Greatness Tribe, listen to this, Chris Widener is not just a, a well-known, renowned speaker around the world, but he's also a business person. He's an author. Um, some of the stuff that Chris has created in the last two decades is phenomenally impressive, and you're going to see more. But Chris Widener is widely recognized as one of the top speakers because he's spoken around the world. He's been to Germany, Spain, Russia. He's spoken in Egypt. He's spoken in China and Singapore. He's also been here in Australia and, of course, um, all over the U.S. and Canada. Now, Chris speaks to groups right from the size of 100 people right up to 25,000 people and more. Uh, you know, his clients are the big who's who of American businesses and organizations you can think of. I mean, you're talking about General Electric. Um, you're talking about Cisco systems. He's spoken to Microsoft. And I can go on with names, but I'm going to let Chris take that, that baton in a moment. But Chris was handed. This is, this is something very special, and I must recognize it and acknowledge it. He was hand-selected by two major legends in the personal development and success industry, Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar. Jim Rohn, one of the most successful speakers for the last 50 years, was basically also known as Tony Robbins' mentor. He was Tony Robbins' first mentor, right, Chris? And um, he was literally, he was, he was brought, Chris was brought in as the last protege for Jim Rohn to work along him side by side for seven years, the last seven years of Jim's life. And, and that would be so special because Jim was my personal um, absent mentor, Chris. And I, and I really have a massive affection for, for anyone who was affiliated with Chris and Jim. Chris and Jim did one big, big deal, and that was they co-authored the Jim Rohn One Year Success Plan. And for any of you who, any of your listeners from the Greatness Tribe, if you've never checked out the One Year Success Plan by Jim Rohn, you must have a look. I did that course for one year, and that transformed my life. You must have a look at that, because that, along with Jim's last book, The Twelve Pillars, was co-authored by Chris as well. Anyway, I'm going to keep on going, but I, I tell you what, it's better if you, Chris, you talk about it and tell us, fill in the gaps, tell us more about you. Tell us what you did as a businessman along with your small publishing company that you started off with and where you've brought it till today. And also talk about, you know, who you are as an author and a father and a husband. And Yeah, take us down that. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, coming live from sunny Seattle. It's not very sunny here very often, but... Um, uh, happy to be able to join you. I'll give you a, maybe a two or three minute little overview of the scope of my life. And I think one of the things I like to do is start with how I started out because uh, one of the things I tell people, it doesn't matter where you start. It just matters the decisions you make today and where you're going in the future. Uh, my dad was 
a pretty affluent guy. We lived in a nice uh, country club home, um, beautiful place overlooking Lake Washington. He was uh, the fifth partner in an architecture firm, which at the time was pretty big and now is the largest architecture firm in the world called NBBJ. And um, uh, he was making great money. He died, though, in 1970 at the age of 41, severely underinsured. He had about one third of the life insurance of the salary he made per year. And so they he was sort of newly um, wealthy or, or newly high income. And so my mom and dad hadn't saved up a lot of money. My mom had to sell the house because she couldn't afford the $400 a month uh, mortgage payment back in 1970. Everybody wishes they could do $400 a month now. Right. Mm. But um, so that began sort of a downward uh, spiral. Uh, we moved from a big, you know, 5,000 square foot home to a little two bedroom condominium um, that my mom was able to to get us into. And and uh, we ended up over the course of, of time living in 28 homes. I went to 11 different schools. I was shipped off to live with relatives twice, mainly because I didn't really handle the death of my dad very well. I began to act out, get in trouble, uh, started drugs in like the sixth grade, um, spent most of my weekends in the sixth through the eighth grade betting the ponies at Longacre's horse track. Um, you know, getting in trouble at school and, and all these kinds of things. And, and then, you know, the summer before my senior year, after, after having a sort of a troublesome uh, upbringing, I really just realized, wow, I'm about to graduate high school and I'm going in the wrong direction. I better get turned around, get in the right direction. So I made a decision the summer before my senior year that really revolutionized my life and got my act together my senior year, did well enough. Uh, I ended up with not very good grade point average, but good enough. I was in uh, the half, as Zig Ziglar says, I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Um, uh, eked my way out of high school, got into a little college, got a degree in youth and family work because I wanted to help out, um, help, you know, help troubled kids and things like that. And so I started speaking to summer, uh, you know, summer camps and high schools and junior highs and colleges and things like that. And, and, began speaking in 1988 when I graduated from college, um, started a little publishing company. We actually published a faxed journal. So every weekend we had, you know, 10,000 subscribers and we would fax out 10,000 faxes over the course of the weekend, four pages long. We sold advertising and that was the beginning of my, my sort of business stuff. Um, Ended up getting that on the internet in like 1997, quickly built a list of 100,000 people um, and uh, got into um, licensing audio programs from some of the biggest personal development speakers. And we packaged them together and we started selling them through Costco and Sam's Club and built a real nice business. We were doing 30,000 to 50,000 units a month through Costco and Sam's Club. And, and then I sold that to my business partner. Uh, back in 2009, and he still runs that company, Made for Success. He still runs that um, and sells audio programs, and and mostly now all in digital, just about. Although he does still have some physical product, but um, my speaking career really kind of took off. I was doing speaking and doing okay, but it really took off. Um, I started ghostwriting for John Maxwell back in the year 2000, right, I think, or okay. something like that. And uh, Ghost wrote a lot of his articles, and and uh, he had a, a an article in the what here in the United States is called the business journals. Uh, most big cities have one of the business journals. And and then I got called by Jim Rohn and they asked me to ghostwrite. I said, you know, I really don't want to ghostwrite, but I will uh, co-write. And the very first thing I did with them was what you mentioned was the Jim Rohn one-year program. And so uh, we wrote that Jim Rohn one-year program. And then that turned into the book, 12 Pillars. And, and then I wrote this book called The Angel Inside, which became a, a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book. And um, 
and and then most recently, if you I mean, if you want to talk about this, we can because I know you're about entrepreneurs. I started a Facebook page and it grew really fast. And and a guy called me up one day and wanted to buy it. And I thought, well, no, I'm not interested. He called me back a month later, offered me six figures for this Facebook page. Oh, wow. So I called a friend of mine and said, and I said, what what is the deal with this? Why does this guy want to buy my Facebook page so much? So we figured it out. And we turned that into a, a business that. Uh, that we, my partner and I literally spend less than a half an hour a month on and, uh, and it grosses, uh, anywhere between 50 and $110,000 a month. Ooh, um, wow. And so, uh, so that's kind of interesting. So it's, if you think about the technology curve that I've been through, you know, starting out with faxing to, uh, CDs to, <laughs> to social media, it's really kind of interesting. So yeah. that's, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, turning 50 here in a. I, I don't know when this is going to actually go out to your to your uh, tribe of folks, but uh, it's it's April 2nd when we're recording this, and uh, in 16 days I turn 50 years old. So halfway through my life, and uh, things are going great, and uh, just excited about what the future is going to bring. Well, you know, on behalf of Greatness Tribe, we're going to sing Happy Birthday to you in advance, Chris. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you, Chris. <laughs> All right, you can send the cake through the mail. <laughs> sounds good, sounds good. And we'll organize champagne as well, virtual champagne. <laughs> yeah, virtual champagne toast. <laughs> awesome. Chris, th- thanks so much for that. Really appreciate you. Um, talk about, you know, elevator pitches and talk about how people try to make it concise and tell the world what they do when they meet someone at a social event or a formal event is quite a bit of a challenge especially aspiring entrepreneurs find that quite challenging to package what they say how how would you describe what you do in 15 seconds or less even if you if you met someone for the first time at a social event or a formal event well i'll tell you it's really important to i'll, I'll tell you that in a moment but i want to tell you how important it is for people to be able to tell that message um what i i coined this a long time ago i help uh, i use my speaking and writing skills to help people turn their potential into performance, succeed in every area of their lives and achieve their dreams. That's what I do. So um, when I say that, it tells them how I do it. I use my writing and speaking skills. So I'm primarily a speaker and an author. But what I try to do with any time I speak or any time I write is help people turn their potential into performance, succeed in every area of their life and achieve their dreams. Love it. And, and how do you generate revenue and cash flow as of today? Mainly. Uh, mainly, well, actually my internet businesses have grown. My speaking businesses, I still do about 30 a year, um, royalties on my audio programs. Uh, I've done about 85 CDs and, and now we're doing mostly digital, digital stuff that goes straight to iTunes and, and, uh, e-music and, and Amazon and, and all those kinds of things. That's cool. So you, you obviously hooked up with a lot of partnerships and, you know, you've collaborated and you masterminded your way through using technology. And we're going to talk about that later on in this, in this episode. Uh, but let, hey, before, let's... before you do, let me, let me cut you off here real quick. Cause you asked the question about being able to do an elevator pitch and whatever. And I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, somebody you should have on your podcast. Her name is Terry Shodin mm-hmm. and it's S J O D I N. And she wrote a, a book called, I think it was called small message, big impact or something like that. But uh-huh. if you Google Terry Shodin, it's a book literally about the question you just asked me is how do you, how 
how do you do that elevator pitch? How do you get across a big impact with a small or short term message? She'd be great for you to have on on your show as well. But that's a good book for people to pick up and, and give a read through. Awesome. Thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, because it's yeah. it's such a challenge because a lot of people tend to get in this in, a, in this whirlpool of words and then they get lost in it. And I've seen organizations struggle time and time again, just having to create that little pitch that could really be impactful, be really meaningful and genuine. And it doesn't have to come across as you having a, you know, sound like a parrot or a robot, but having to make it natural. But every entrepreneur needs to understand and get that clarity. So I'm definitely going to tap into Terry. And of course, Greatness Tribe, you definitely want to tap into Terry as well. Terry. Show Dean. Show Dean. S-J-O-D-I-N. S-J-O-D-I-N. Got it. I'm actually pulling her up right now as we're on the interview. Great. I'll, well, Greatness Tribe, you'll have the details of uh, Terry Shodine on the show notes page of this episode. You just need to search for Chris Widener, W-I-D-E-N-E-R, on the show of destinationforgreatness.com, and you'll find the show notes page and you'll find the details. Um, so, so, Chris, when we, you were talking about how you went through a rough patch when you were in your you know, sixth grade. Take us through, talk us through those heartache moments, because not just that, but perhaps when you just started your business and your, you know, your career as an entrepreneur began, you had conflicts and pitfalls that you were coming out of, but what were those conflicts? What sort of problems? What were you going through as in terms of mental barriers? And t- take Greatness tri- Tribe through that memory lane and really share with us your heartaches at that time. Well, I think, um, I don't know that I really knew that I had a problem when I was a kid. I was just a kid, right? And kids sort of react to the, the, the things around them. And, you know, I, I, you know, even later on in life, I was trying to articulate what was what was going through my head or whatever. But as, as if I look back on it, I think what I really had was a chip on my shoulder because I was always getting in trouble with teachers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't even know it at the time, really what it was. I couldn't articulate. I was just a kid growing up. Right. Uh, but I was good enough at sports that the coaches had to accept me. I was good enough in school. The teachers had to accept me. And and then it wasn't until I really realized that, hey, I'm always in trouble. I don't get good grades, but I want to be successful. I want to make money. I want to, you know, I want to, I don't want to live an average life. And so I realized I had to change some things because I was kind of living an average life. Right. And, uh, and so it was sort of there that began the trajectory of, of my life where I, you have to start somewhere. Right. And, and there are people listening. You grew up in a great home. Maybe your parents made a lot of money. They stayed married. They got along. You you didn't have really a whole lot of problems. And then we've got people listening who, you know, maybe grew up in really bad part of town and, Mom had, you know, dad was gone. Mom had to work two or three jobs. You didn't know where you were going to get food for or money for food. It doesn't matter where you start. What really matters is that moment of decision is your starting point. That's true. So would, what was that the point where you felt, you know, you had to make a decision and that's where your journey of greatness began? I mean, was that the light bulb moment or how do you look at when you look back? What's your light bulb moment? Uh, the light bulb moment was when I realized I was going into my senior year and I only had one more year until I was out the door for, you know, for public schooling. And then I, you know, you got to pay for your own college and, and you got to choose a major and you have to start making decisions. I mean, through high school, you can kind of just get up in the morning, eat what your parents mm. have in the house, trudge off to school and come home and somebody else is paying the mortgage and somebody else is buying the food. And, and all of a sudden I was like, oh man, one year until I have to go do all this on my own. <laughs> True. You know, so I better, I better figure this out. Reality just kicked in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, share some of your great results now when you, you know, when you look at it all, we'll, we'll talk about a hindsight moment in a second, but just as of now, as of today, what sort of great results that you're experiencing with your clients or people that are in touch with you? 
Well, it's great because I get to see people who I think most of the times people know what to do, but they really just need somebody to hold them accountable mm-hmm. and to confirm with them what it is that they that they know they should be doing. Um, and, and so I think that a lot of what what I do is give people faith, give people hope, give people courage, um, give them a little bit of a hard message and telling them the, you know, one thing that Jim Rohn always used to say was he used to talk about discipline. You know, uh, everybody must experience one of two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The fact is, is that the only people who succeed are people who discipline. If you have discipline, you will most likely succeed. Um, you know, obviously life is, is, is hard and things happen and sometimes good people don't succeed even when they're trying hard. But the fact is, is that if you want to put yourself in the game for success, you have to be disciplined. Um, if you want to lose weight, you got to be disciplined into what you eat and get an exercise. You want to be dis- uh, if you want to be rich, you got to be disciplined in <clears throat> earning money and saving money and spending less than you earn and investing the difference. And I mean, it doesn't matter what you want to be successful in. You have to be disciplined in it and you have to do it day by day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month. And over the course of time, you produce results, right? And I think, <clears throat> especially as I turn 50 here soon and I'm sort of in the middle of life, Um, And I've seen enough. I've seen my own life. I've seen other people's lives. I've seen the clients that I've worked with. The number one thing I'm talking about now is discipline. If if you can't discipline yourself, you're never going to be successful. It's the number one key to success. It's not sexy. You know, I wish that I could say, yes, the secret is right. Just tell the universe what you want and it will bring you a Ferrari. It's hogwash. Uh, The people who succeed are the people who are disciplined. Um, you, you know, pick an athlete, pick a professional athlete and, and ask him, you know, hey, did you run off to the fair and eat cotton candy and ride the rides? And he say, no, actually, I missed most of the fairs. I, I didn't eat much cotton candy when I was growing up because I was, you know, I was in summer leagues and I was taking batting practice and I was I had a coach that was working with. I mean, pick any pick any athlete. They didn't they didn't get to hit home runs in baseball or or hit holes in one in golf or or, you know, throw 70 yard touchdown passes or, you know, any of those kinds of things because they were, you know, messing around when they were growing up. They were disciplined in, in mastering their, their sport, right? And it doesn't matter if you're talking about finances or sports or business or whatever. The successful people are, are people who are disciplined. And, and I, I wish there was some magic pixie dust we could blow on people or, you know, unicorns flying around somewhere. But most of the stuff that you read about in the success industry now um, has little to do with discipline. And it has all these tricks, right? You know, seven secrets. Well, there are no secrets. There's one secret, be disciplined, right? So that's my main message nowadays is, is you're never going to succeed if you can't get your butt out of bed and go off and do something every single day for months upon months upon months upon years upon years upon years and actually master it. That's right. And, and, you know, when you, Greatness Tribe, when you talk about success and you talk about discipline, even if they're small actions, but they're daily, small, consistent actions done with discipline, it can definitely create an outcome and a, and a massive outcome. And, and when, when you, success comes, they say it comes in all shapes and sizes and you never know what it is. Right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, people say, oh, how did you how did you go so fast? You know, because people saw my rise go real fast when I when I got hooked up with uh, Jim you know, Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and people like that, all of a sudden I came out of nowhere. My name got well-known really fast. But what they don't see is all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of speeches I gave to little tiny audiences in little tiny hotel ballrooms, you know, for years and years and years and years and years. Um, 
you know, my, my book, The Angel Inside, that I wrote in 2004, I think is when I wrote, 2005 maybe, and it, and it ended up uh, hitting the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestselling list, all that. I think it was my eighth book or something like that. Um, you know, and my other books didn't sell very well. They, I mean, they sold well enough. I sold them back to the room and I gave speeches and things like that. Um, and then my next book after Angel Inside, which was 12 Pillars, uh, I think now has sold over a million copies, primarily, I think, because of Jim Rohn's name being on it. But, um, you know, success rarely comes overnight to people. Even if it looks like an overnight success, it's it's like an iceberg. You see the tip, but you look underneath and there's a lot more to it. Mm, mm, totally agree with you on that. So when you look at it now, how would you say, you know, you had challenges and those turns and moments of unknown because that's where entrepreneurs struggle with. And even though they have discipline and consistent action and they don't see the outcome right away, they're still wondering when it's going to come. And they see a lot of unknown situations. How do you minimize those unknowns, Chris? Well, I think one thing I want to mention before we get into the unknowns is you also have to be in the right business, right? So I'll give you an example that I use with people all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're in a, if you're a good speaker, right? Okay. Let's, let's take, a, you know, five people who are good speakers, four or five people who are good speakers and, and they're good communicators. If you choose to be a, uh, a grade school teacher, and you're going to be in you and you're a great communicator and the kids love you and you do a great job and and you're making a difference in kids lives you're going to make 40 or 50,000 dollars a year uh, let's say that you take the same great speaker and instead of deciding to be a great school teacher he decides to be a minister well minister's going to make maybe 70 75 thousand dollars a year. He gets up every Sunday. He gives, you know, really great sermon. He changes people's lives, helps people understand how to navigate life, but he's going to make $75,000 a year. Let's say he decides instead of doing that, he decides he's going to be a college professor. And, and he goes off to college and he teaches college students, you know, he's going to make maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. If he, you know, uh, if he decides instead of doing that, that he's going to become a professional speaker and he disciplines himself and builds his business, et cetera, et cetera. He can make anywhere from a uh, quarter million dollars a year to two, three million dollars a year. It's the same skill, but you have to choose the right channel. So if you're a if you're a good business person, um, you can choose a business that's that could boom, or you could choose a business that maybe doesn't have a very good um, uh, mark mass market appeal, right? So it's not just being good at what you do and being good and being disciplined. That's important to success. It's the fundamentals of success. But at the same time, take a disciplined person, put them in one business, or take the same disciplined person, put them in a different business, and they're going to make a different amount of money because you have to pick the right channel as well. That is powerful. So when you're saying if you pick the right line and line of interest, but also the kind of business that you know you'll do really well, it has to be a match and it has to be congruent with the, the, the fundamentals of the act of discipline or the behavior. So just having to do something and knocking your head against it is not going to help you. Yeah. I mean, right. would you rather own, would you rather own a little tiny sandwich shop or would you rather own a McDonald's? Exactly. It's the same, it's the same thing. You're, you're still making sandwiches or hamburgers or something, but one is going to make you, you know, if it's a, if it's just a booming sandwich shop, it's going to make you maybe couple hundred thousand bucks a year. If it's booming and very popular, you own a McDonald's. I know McDonald's owners, they make a million bucks a year. True. True. So, so, so it's, it, but, but then you could, you could take two people that own sandwich shops. They, they make the same, you know, they buy the same ham, they buy the same turkey, they buy the same cheese, they buy the same mayonnaise. You give me the disciplined guy who's going to work it versus the undisciplined guy who's going to work it. And the disciplined guy is going to win every time. Mm, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to switch gears now. Talk about discipline. 
did you have that in your first sale? Because we're going to talk about the chunk of greatness, which is about your very first sale and how you gain credibility from there on, et cetera. So what was your first sale like, Chris? How did you make it? <laughs> I, got a funny, I got a funny first sale that I made but never went through. <laughs> um, and and it's, a, it's a funny story, actually. So <clears throat> I was a teenager, and my mom was working at Group Health Hospital. I don't even know what she did, some administrative job. And there was a guy there who, you know, he seemed ancient when I was 17 years or I guess I was about, I was the best I was about 15 years old because I couldn't drive yet. It's part of the story. Um, and he seemed ancient at the time. I look back on it, he's probably 45. And, um, <laughs> and he came to me one day and he said, he said, hey, I just licensed the region to sell self-watering flower pots. It was a little two-piece kind of plastic flower pot that fit together like a bowl and then an insert into the bowl. And, and it had like, a, it had like a, a, a tube that went down from the top part into the bottom part. And it had a slider thing on it that determined how much water it would suck up into the, up into the, uh, the top part of the, of the flower pot. And based on, you know, different flowers have different water needs, right? So a cactus needs less than an African violet or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he says to me, he says, um, hey, how would you like to make some extra money? And I said, sure, I'd love to make some extra money. He said, well, I just licensed this thing. I think he paid $7,000 for the license. And then he had this little region of the greater Seattle area where he could sell these flower pots. In fact, he might have had Washington State. And so I said, sure, no problem. Well, he thought I was going to go door to door. Like he thought I was going to knock on people's doors and go, hey, would you like to buy a flower pot? He said, I'll pay you a dollar per pot that you sell. And I said, great, we're in business. So the very first phone call I ever made, very first sales call I ever made, I called Ernst Home Centers. And Ernst Home Centers was a precursor to Home Depot and, you know, all these big right. uh, home centers that they have now. Right. And uh, I think they had maybe 100 stores or something like that. So I called them up and I said, hey, I'd like to come in. I'd like to show you a self-watering flower pot. And they said, sure, come on in. We'll, we'll introduce you to our buyer who does that section of our business. So I go marching in there. It was the first. Um, it was the first uh, blazer that I ever bought. My mom took me out. We bought a little blue blazer um, that I would wear. And she had to drive me to it because I didn't have my driver's license yet. So I had to have been 14 or 15 years old. And I walk into this guy and I sit down and I said, this is pretty simple demonstration. Here you go. And I showed him, I put water in the bottom part. I put this, the top part in that goes over the top and they fit together. They snap together. And a little bit, of, I had it on the lowest setting, a little bit of water trickled into it. And then I moved the dial across and all of a sudden a bunch of water came into it. And he said, this is amazing. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll do four boxes. And I think each box had 24 um, uh, flower pots in it. He said, I'll take four boxes per store for 20 stores for a year as a test. So I was selling 2,000 pots um, a month. I got an order for 2,000 pots a month for a year. So I sold 24,000 flower pots on my first sale ever. (laughs) Now Now, this is an important lesson to learn. So I go back to this guy, and he had no idea that I was going to do it. I go, I get the purchase order <laughs> in my hand. I go back to this guy, and I go, hey, I made my first sale. And he said, oh, that's great. And I said, it's 24,000 pots. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I kid you not, I kid you not, it scared him so much. He called the flower pot company, and he said, I don't want to be in this business anymore. I want my $7,000 back. <laughs> I literally just sold like, I mean, I don't know if they were $5 a pot wholesale or something. I was, I, I got $10,000 a month for a year, Wow! you know, and, uh, and, and he wouldn't even have to do anything. It's not like he was going to storm in his garage and drive him around to the stores. He was going to have them drop shipped. 
he would call the company. They drop ship them to the Ernst Home Center's, uh, you know, distribution plant, and they'd take them to all the stores. But it freaked him out. He was so afraid of success that he literally did not let it go through. Mm. He gave the. And now I don't know why my mother didn't take seven, scratch together seven thousand dollars, and uh, and buy that business, and and then we'd start making the money. But um, no, it was a really interesting thing. So I I would have gotten a dollar a pot. So I would have made two thousand dollars a month for a year at age fourteen. I'm going to make twenty four thousand dollars, which would have given me a head start on my college fund. But um, no, I mean, so so that was my first sale that didn't go through. And then, uh, and but there's a great lesson in there that it was so much bigger than what this guy thought. It freaked him out. He was so afraid of success, yeah. he didn't take the purchase order, and he got his money back from the business. It's true, isn't it, Chris? I mean, when a lot of opportunities come past a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, and sometimes entrepreneurs, when they're looking at ideas, they can easily get trapped into this, oh, it's too good to be true. But the reality is, it is good, and it is true. So You just have to look behind the curtains, and you'll find out. Right. What you really have to deal with is, you know, what most people think is, okay, so here's this guy. He's he he was in medical records. He was a filer in medical records. That's what he did for a job. So mm-hmm. so imagine this, right? He thought, well, I mean, who knows what he made? Twenty five thousand dollars a year or something like that. He was probably looking to make an extra five thousand dollars a year or something like that. Something to just make sure that he could make his car payment every month or or whatever. And so it it. It came along and here was this vast sum of money for what he was typically used to making. And and he got scared. He probably started thinking things like, what if it fails? What if, well, that's the biggest question I think entrepreneurs have to overcome. What if it fails? Well, what if it fails? Well, you just start over. You, you, it, I mean, you, you go to Forbes 400 and look at the people who are on the Forbes 400 list of the richest people. I, I would imagine, I haven't done the research. I, I probably should do the research on this. I'll bet there's at least 100 bankruptcies there. I'll bet there's at least 100 people who went bankrupt in something before they found the right business. But people are so afraid of failing, so afraid of bankruptcy, so afraid of, of you know, what people will think about them and all that kind of stuff that they end up just not uh, – you know, they end up just not doing right. it. And in the potential, I think it's Tony Robbins who talks about how people are much more swayed by the um, by the potential of loss than they are by the potential of of uh, of gain, gain. Right. And so, you know, if, if you and I think what happened, there was a, some study a long time ago where they hooked people up to electrodes and and they basically said, um, if if uh, if one thing happens, it'll be like 10 on a pleasurable scale. Uh, but if another thing happens, it'll be a negative five on on the on the uh, pain scale. Right. And people they what they found was people were more trying to avoid the pain than they were to get the pleasure. And so that's the way people are, are hardwired. It seems like a lot of people You're, you got to put yourself at risk. You have to be willing to lose it all. And um, and most people aren't. And the people who are, we call them entrepreneurs. Mm, absolutely. So with that, when you when you did that, you obviously gained a bit of credibility. And I, we don't know whether it was positive at that time because the guy ran away. But he must have, for a moment, I bet you, he must have thought about you being extraordinarily good. But speaking of extraordinary, you know, there's also credibility that comes in along the way. How did you create credibility along your journey? I think credibility is built over years. It's built by small successes that turn into medium successes that turn into um, big successes. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you you have to be able to um, give something that people can trust and they trust your track record. Right. 
Um, I think sometimes you can borrow credibility. The, the illustration I always use is, is even though I live here in the Seattle area, I don't know Bill Gates. I've never met Bill Gates. And even though we live, what, 10 miles from each other, um, and I know lots of people who work at Microsoft, but if I were to call Microsoft one day and say, hey, I'd like to Bill Gates' office, okay, patch me through. They patch me through. And somebody answers the phone and they say, Bill Gates' office. I say, hi, hey, this is Chris Widener. I want to talk to Bill Gates. And they're like, um... Yeah, he's a really busy man. He doesn't have much time. So you're not going to be able to get a uh, you're not going to be able to get time with Bill Gates. But if if, say, for example, I played on a summer softball league with somebody who was a senior executive at Microsoft who, who knew Bill Gates, um, let's call him Joe Schmo for, for lack of a better term. I'm playing softball with Joe Schmo and I say, I've got this really interesting business idea that I think Bill Gates might be interested in. And I tell him and he goes, wow, I really think Bill might be interested in that. Then I call up and I, I get the same woman answering the phone and I say, hey, Joe Schmo told me I needed to talk to Bill Gates. What do you suppose she's going to say? She's going to say, oh, well, if Joe said you need to talk to Bill, let's schedule some time for next Tuesday at three. So you can borrow some credibility. Sometimes you can you can borrow some credibility, but most credibility usually or or borrowing influence. Uh, I talk about borrowing influence, but and you can do that influence or credibility. But most of the time, your influence and credibility really just comes from um, building a career that step by step becomes successful enough that people look at you and say. Okay, that's uh, you know that's something that we can believe in. I think an another way that people could borrow credibility is through franchising. For example, you could op open up your own sandwich shop and call it Joe's Sandwich Shop, or you can open up a Subway Sandwich Shop. Subway Sandwich Shop has credibility; it has a brand, it has a, a well-known name, you know, something like that. So you know, but if you open up a an independent sandwich shop, you can certainly build credibility over time, and sometimes those end up being really big, booming, thriving businesses. You know, because over the course of years, you know, 10 years later, somebody's saying, hey, where's the best place to get a sandwich? And they say, you got to go check out Joe's Sandwich Shop. I mean, it's been here for 15 years and they make the best sandwiches at the best prices. and It's all fresh ingredients. You got to go to Joe's Sandwich Shop. They're not going to say go to Subway. They're going to say, you know, mm. go to this other. So you either you, you, you basically, again, goes back to discipline. Find a good business, find a business you love, find a business that's going to make the kind of money that you want to make. And everybody wants to make different amounts of money. Some people are happy with 100,000 a year. Some people are happy with 250. Some people are happy with a million. doesn't matter. It's your life. It's, it's how you want to live it and, and how you want to fund it. Um, but once you find that kind of business you want to be in and you got to go to work and prove yourself and build your brand and, and, uh, and, and create a business that builds trust in the marketplace. And while you were proving and trying to create the brand, how did you go about creating key partnerships for your businesses, Chris? Well, an interesting thing that I did was I partnered with some really big names, like I mentioned, John Maxwell and and uh, and um, Jim Rohn and and Zig Ziglar and you know things like that and, and people like that and and um, that that gave me a lot of credibility. I mean, my speaking fee went up four hundred percent over the course of the you know, 10 years after I started working with those guys because they figured, well, hey, hey, if, if uh, Jim Rohn is asking him to MC and speak at this major event that he's putting on, he must be good. I mean, people didn't sh people showed up at that 2004 weekend leadership event that you talked about. You know, I think we had 1300 people there. I'll bet 900 of them had never heard of me. 
maybe, maybe 1,200 of them had never heard of me. But when I was there and I did a good job, I mean, if I would have gotten up there and done a not very good job, then I would have lost credibility. Mm. So I borrowed, I borrowed some credibility from Jim by being asked to be there. And, and they, you know, people figured, Hey, Jim Rohn wouldn't put on a bad event. If he's asked this guy, he must be good. Well, if I would have been bad at what I did, it wouldn't have mattered that Jim lent me credibility, right? I still had to show up. I had to do the right thing. I had to perform. I had to excel. I had to do those kinds of things. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the key to it is showing up, performing and doing well and, and proving yourself. And did, along the way, did you find that, you know, especially at the beginning, were you strapped for cash? Were you working on a low cash flow budget? And yes, you. From, oh, ab- yeah, you did. Absolutely. What were your strategies? What's, what were some of your strategies that you executed on the plans so that you could, you know, build a business up with that little restricted cash flow or even bootstrapped your way if you were? Well, so the first little business I started was that fax business, right? And I started it in my own little hometown to 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 make uh, to make some money. And I started it, and I was selling local advertising. And then what I realized was was that you know what? There's lots of little towns all across America where there might be a, a single mom or you know somebody wants a side job or whatever. And so I started licensing it to other cities. And so that's why the original name of my company was called American Community Business Network. And, uh, and it was a network of American communities who served the business community, right? So we started licensing it and I, I had Microsoft publisher and I laid out a four part, um, laid out a four part, uh, or a four page newsletter. I left a third of each page open for, for advertising. I told our licensees, you have to have publisher because you have to be able to create the ads for your local businesses. And then we started licensing it to other towns. So I think the key there is I, I started it with, you know, the cost of Microsoft publisher. I did it on a laptop and um, um, I had WinFax Pro. I don't know if you remember WinFax Pro. So I, I ran this whole thing off of WinFax Pro. Friday night at five o'clock, I started sending out faxes and we sent out thousands and thousands of faxes. The last ones went out on Monday morning and the phone just rang all weekend long, sent the fax, whatever. But it's the key to growing your business is, is finding something that's scalable and then leveraging it. So what I figured out was here, this is how you make it scalable. You, you have to, you have to be able to get it into other cities and that's how you leverage it. And so then they made money and then they paid me some of the money that they made. And that's how I leveraged that business. I think the other big thing that, that people have to think about is, is how to think big, you know, take the flower pot story. I could have gone door to door and made a dollar for every, you know, house that I sold a a thing to. But I thought, well, why wouldn't I just go to Ernst Home Centers and sell 2000 a month? Um, You know, when we when my partner and I decided to compile audio programs, we were not the first person to ever take. 14 CDs and one DVD and put them in a box around a theme. Uh, You know, we had leadership, sales success, winning strategies. You know, we had a whole bunch of different products. We weren't the first people to ever take a few speakers and put them in a box. But most speakers say, well, you know what we'll do is, is we'll sell 20 boxes in the back of the room after every speech. And, and that's what they thought, right? So what we did was we put together these boxes and we signed licensing agreements with all these speakers. And then we went to a guy here in a little town called Tuckwilla, Washington. And Tuckwilla is a little suburb of Seattle, um, kind of south of Seattle. And we found this guy because um, when you go into Costco or, you know, when you used to go into Costco, um, there would be these audio programs, learn, uh, like how to learn a language, how to learn photography. And, and it was all this company um, um, called Topics Entertainment. 
and they were in Tukwila. And his name was Greg. And Greg was probably doing $40 million a year through Costco and Sam's Club selling language learning programs. But, but it didn't matter that he was selling language learning and we were selling personal development. It was a box with a bunch of CDs in it. So we went to Greg and we said, Greg, we've got a new idea for you. You know, here's our idea. We pitched him on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Greg, the, the way the business ended up working out was my partner and I just became middleman. We licensed all, we licensed thousand audio programs from most of the major speakers and then hundreds and hundreds of smaller speakers, people never heard of, but they were good content providers. We licensed it from them. And then we relicensed it to Greg. Greg paid for all the um, production costs. I mean, you know, if you're going to churn out 50,000 boxes with, you know, 14 CDs and one DVD in it to pump out every month, that's a lot of money. The, the, the boxes and the CDs and packaging and shipping and all that. So Greg did all of that paid us a royalty and we scooped some off the top and then we turned around and then shipped uh, the royalties out to our speakers. So we end up literally, we got paid, you know, a lot of money for basically just doing paperwork. And so, you know, that's the way we leveraged it. We could have gone to Joe's local five and dime and said, Hey, we've got these and we're selling them on consignment. Can we give you 10 boxes that you'll put in the front of the store? Mm. But instead we thought big well, why don't we find a guy who's already selling through Costco and Sam's club and let's try and get that guy to, to do it with us. And then that's what happened. And that's how, you know, that, you know, that was the first sales call we made was to a guy who, who was already doing $40 million a year. And we asked him to, to partner with us and we ramped it up pretty quickly. And, and at our, you know, I think sometimes we were doing 50, maybe even 60,000 units a month uh, through Costco and Sam's club. And, um, and it's just as easy. I always tell people it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. So, you know, if, if, uh, if you really want to, you know, make a lot of money and grow a big business, think big, think about ways that you can scale the business. Think about ways that you can leverage the business. Think about ways that you can make a big sale. Cause you know what? Um, if you're going to make a sales call, it means you're going to drive somewhere. You're going to park your car. You're going to walk into a lobby. You're going to ask for the guy. You're going to walk in. You're going to sit down across the table from him. You're going to make a pitch. You want to be in front of people who can buy a thousand of your product, not a guy who can buy 10 of your product, right? So it's just as easy. In both cases, it's going to take you an hour to drive there, have the meeting and leave again. It's still an hour of your time. You leverage your time by talking to a guy that can buy a thousand of your product instead of 10 of your product. I love it. So you're talking about, you know, I was, and I was going to ask you about the mindset and the habits and I, and I, and I believe you've already told greatness tribe the power of him how you collaborate how you got to think you have a choice you can think as if it's easy to think small it's also easy to think big so why not think big and then take action accordingly and then collaborate collaborate and connect with people that you can help to create like you said take the cream of the top and then use that um would that be your distinguishing factor chris like how did you just how would you say you are distinguished amongst your competitors what's your usp well, I'll mention two things. The first one is that, you know, people always say to me, how in the world did you get to work with John Maxwell and Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar? And what's interesting to me is, is, you know, everybody looks at those guys and they say, I want to be just like them. I want to have the business that they have. I want to speak on big stages like they do. And most people, if they meet somebody like that, they will say, hey, I want to be just like you. I want to do what you do. Will you help me? That's what most people ask. Will you help me? And I flipped it around. What I said was, you know, I didn't, I didn't say, hey, I want to be like you, I want to do business like you. But what I did, I asked, I asked the opposite question. 
I said, how can I help you? Well, John was so busy with everything and they were starting to do some ghostwriting and, and some of that. And, and so I said, look, sure. The president of their company called me up and said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And I did it. My name didn't go on it. Nobody, you know, nobody knew that I was doing it. Nobody knew that I was the one that wrote them. Uh, I didn't get any credit other than the fact they pay really well, but it got me into relationship with John and, and the people on his team, right? Um, some people in the industry knew that I was doing it, and that's how Jim found out. Jim and his team, Kyle Wilson, the president of Jim Rohn International, they wanted to do this one-year learning program. So they called me up and they said, would you be willing to um, you know, ghostwrite this thing? And I said, well, I don't want to ghostwrite it, but I will co-write it. But yeah, sure. I'll, and basically, it comes, from a, it comes from a mentality of service, right? And sure, I'll serve you. That's what you need. And I knew that if I could help them with what they needed, then everything would come around for me. It goes back to that old Zig Ziglar, um, you know, that old Zig Ziglar quote, you can have anything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want out of life. But you can also have anything you want out of life if you help the right person get what they want out of life, right? So when when Jim asked me if I would work with them, sure, I'll work with them and, and I'll do the writing and I'll do, you know, that kind of stuff. And that helped me. And then the last one that I would say is, is I had a television show in Dallas called Made for Success and Zig was approached about doing a, um, Zig was approached about doing a, a show as well. Well, Zig was about 78 years old and, and he knew that he was getting older and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, I already had a relationship with Zig and his son, Tom, because <clears throat> Zig was in most of those boxes that we were selling through Costco and Sam's Club. So we were sending <laughs> right. Zig a pretty good royalty check every year. I mean, every quarter. So they knew us. And so um, Tom called me up and he said, hey, they asked Zig to do a TV show on that network that you're on, but Zig doesn't want to do it by himself. What he really wants is he wants um, a co-host. And we figure, you know, we've already been doing business together. We figure that you're, um, you know, that you're already in Dallas already doing this other show. So do you want to do it? And I said, sure. And so I knew my role, though. I knew it wasn't going to be the Zig and Chris show, although it's great when you see the promos and the videos, you know, were positioned very well together. Um, but I knew my role in the show was to be, I always describe it as the, um, the, the pitcher, right? I just throw the ball and nobody really cares about the, you know, when you're rooting for the guy hitting the ball, you're rooting for the guy hitting the ball, right? So my job was to throw a nice pitch to Zig and let him hit the ball out of the park. Um, I was like the batting coach who throws batting practice and lets him hit it out of the park. But what was interesting was taking that, you know, taking that idea, that concept of me being the servant to Zig in that show. After we did two or three episodes, they came to me and they, and Tom did, and he said, you know what, Zig really likes you and he wants you to talk more. He wants you to give some of your ideas. You know, he wants to be more of a dialogue. So by serving Zig, it, it allowed him to say, you know what, I really want this young guy to, to step up and to say some of the things that he thinks as well. So it comes from, I think one of the things that I've done well over the course of my life is, is serve other people, allow them to make money. I don't have a single revenue stream where I'm the only person who makes money. Anytime I make money, at least one other person, and oftentimes two or three other people are also making money. And, uh, and that's always been my philosophy is you serve people and help people that way. I love that. Have an attitude of servitude. And uh, you know, someone once said, give without want in order to receive. And Greatness Tribe, this, this, is, this is key. So yes, it's important to make money, but it's even more important if you can help others make money and if you can find a way to serve, because that just automatically comes back to you tenfold. I was, I was talking to this 14-year-old CEO yesterday, uh, Caleb Maddox, and one of the things he was saying is, hey, he was excited. He said, you know what? I made $10,000 in one day. But he said, you know what's more important? I serve the poor. 
That same very day, yeah. he went and he fed the poor. He said, that's more important than the $10,000 I made. And that is, that's powerful because he said, the moment I did that, four hours later, he got a, cha- he got a chance to hang out with Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> yeah. You know? so, well, remember, remember the beginning of – remember the little sign under McDonald's? You know, 40 years ago, it said, you know, 100 million served. And then it would you'd, you'd drive by a couple of years later and it'd say, you know, 300 million served. And then pretty soon it said a billion served. And now it just says billions and billions served or something like that. (laughs) That's how they view it. They're serving people. They're serving people who are short on time, who need some fast food. Um, You know, that's that's what they consider it, serving. Well, the more people you serve, the more money you make. Their stock price went up, their profits went up, and they made more money. The same is is true if you own a little sandwich shop. If you make $3 on every sandwich and you you serve 100 people a day, you make $300. If you can open up a couple more stores and, and bump each store to 200 a day, you own three stores. Now you're selling 600 uh, a day, and now you're making $1,800 a day. It's all about serving your market and serving the people who, who need the product or services that you, that you have. True. And speaking of service, Chris, um, you know, the words coaching and mentoring, they come to my mind particularly, and they're apt at this point in conversation in the interview. Um, there is this great dilemma, and I call it the great dilemma around because aspiring entrepreneurs always wonder whether they need a coach, whether they should coach themselves, whether they should just do passive coaching by watching YouTube videos in today's day and age or read books and that's about it, or whether they should really go out of their way to find a coach or a mentor relevant to what they're doing so that they can get this personal accountability. I want to ask you just really quickly, how would you explain the impact and the importance of getting a great coach and mentor, especially when you're starting off on this journey of entrepreneurship? And who should they talk to? I mean, who would you recommend they talk to when they're getting started to search for one? Well, um, I would just ask you this. Did Michael Jordan have a coach? Did Tiger Woods have a coach? They all had coaches, right? Even people at the top of their game, the best tennis players, the best business people, they have coaches. And it doesn't necessarily even mean that the coach is better than you, right? If if I had to if I had to take somebody, you know, who's the great a golfer right now, Jordan Spieth, right? He's the young kid from Dallas. Mm-hmm. If I had to take a guy out and I was going to play one round of golf for a million dollars, I'd take Jordan. I wouldn't take his coach, right? But so it doesn't mean that True. the coach is better at it per se. Sometimes you get somebody who's been more successful in your chosen career or chosen path. And if you can, that's awesome. But a coach doesn't necessarily mean they have to be better at it than you. A coach is a person who you can bounce ideas off. I mean, they certainly have to be well-versed. They have to have great wisdom and knowledge. Um, But a coach is somebody who helps reflect things back to you. A coach is somebody who um, can encourage you when you need to be encouraged. A coach is somebody who can kick you in the rear when you need to be kicked in the rear. Um, A coach is somebody who can help you brainstorm ideas, uh, who will tell you when a good idea is a good idea and a bad idea is a bad idea. Um, and so everybody has a coach, a coach is somebody who can look on while you do it. Um, and, and say, you know what, maybe you should try this. So, you know, when a basketball player is out, uh, dribbling the ball at the court, they're not looking at themselves. They're seeing it from their perspective. Uh, and that's why you have people who, um, are coaches and they're looking at it from the other perspective and they're saying, you know what I noticed, I noticed that the guy that's defending you doesn't defend very well to his left. So you need to go to his left more than you go to his right. Well, the player may not have noticed that. Uh, in American football, we have coaches that are up in the very high parts of the stands, right? They sit up in these booths, and they're looking at the entire defense. And so they're seeing how the defense is setting up. And the quarterback is seeing it from, you know, six feet off the ground where his head is and his eyes are. 
and and he's seeing it from one perspective more laterally right whereas the coach is seeing it from you know 200 feet above the field and he can see the whole thing in one picture and so he's calling down to the head coach and the head coach is relaying that information to the quarterback who's making the call play calling the plays and things like that so it's very important to get a different perspective and that's what i think mostly what a coach can do is is give you a good perspective the coach is never going to say well here's what you should do and you'll be successful do this then do this then do this and you'll be successful that's not a coach um you know that might be part of what being a coach is but uh, they're going to be the one that helps you get it done with your own skills your own talent your own ambition your own discipline those kinds of things yeah and you said earlier as well you know um people already know what what needs to be done they know exactly what they need to do but sometimes they just need that 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 re- they kick in the rear so that they can move forward and they can take that action with discipline. So I appreciate that. You know, there's a, there's an old quote. It's a, it's from an old Catholic theologian and he was talking about Christianity, but I've sort of turned it into a, a an all encompassing thing. Uh, a guy named GK Chesterton, he was a well-known, wrote a ton of books. He said of Christianity, it's not that Ben, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. Uh, it's that it's been uh, found difficult and left untried. And I think you could say the same thing about business. It's not that being successful in business has been tried and found wanting. It's, be, it's, it's that it's been found difficult and left untried. So anything of any importance in life is often, uh, it's often just been found to be difficult. And so people don't try it. They don't do it. Mm. Mm. I agree. Greatness Tribe, play this part back again and listen very carefully and, and take notes, take Take mental notes if you're driving and listening to this audio or if you want to pull up and, and jot this down because what Chris said is so important. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop us from having to keep on trying. Okay, I'm going to dive right now, switch gears and go into rapid fire mode, which is the golden nuggets of greatness round, Chris. Uh, and this is where most of my guests love it because it's thinking on your feet and hopefully we have a bit of fun with it too. So are you ready for this? Is this where we play the Rocky music? <laughs> well, we're going to have to play a different music for you. Your birthday's coming up, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, let's go. Number one, define greatness in one sentence. Making an impact on the world so that when you're done with your life, you know that you made a difference. Okay. An idea that changed your life. It's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. An exciting startup other than yours you would bet on. Uh, well, they're already huge, so I couldn't bet on it anymore, but things like Uber and Airbnb, any, any business that's taking the same model, uh, that's revolutionizing an already established business like the taxi business or the hotel business through the use of technology is something you should bet on. Including Tesla, right? Like Tesla's new car coming out, what Elon's doing with his, with his new model. Um, one thing that you have that your contemporaries don't. I wouldn't say no contemporaries have, but one of the things that I really try to do in my speeches is to be authentic. I think a lot of speakers, uh, they try to be somebody that they're not, and I try to be authentic. I'm willing to talk about the negatives and the, you know, the lessons I've learned, the failures I've had, the struggles I go through. And so um, I think particularly with the, the up-and-coming millennial generation who really value authenticity, I think that um, authenticity in a business is going to be uh, extremely important in the next 10 to 20 years. Mm, true. Okay. Name two entrepreneurs you would host a dinner for that you would invite. 
two entrepreneurs that I would like to invite. Um, I think Jeff Bezos is pretty amazing. Um, uh, founder of Amazon. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's going into space now and he just bought the Washington Post and um, he's a local Seattleite here. Um, I think he's pretty fascinating. And I think um, I think within 10 years will be the richest man in the world. Uh, so that's one. Um, a second one, I guess, would probably have to be Elon Musk. Um, I think uh, he, it's almost passe to say Elon Musk now, right? Um, it, it's like cliche, like, hey, you know, if you could invite three people, well, okay, I'd have Jesus, Abraham Lincoln, and Elon, <laughs> Elon Musk, Musk. Right? <laughs> you know. Um, but I mean, you know, he's he's brilliant and and he takes big risks and uh, he's bold and um, and he's willing to jump out there and do crazy stuff, right? I'm going to make an electric car that goes zero to 60 in three seconds. Okay, sure you are. And then he does, right? So, you know, I think those two guys would be would be pretty fascinating. And their competitors. I'd love to talk about the space business with both of them sitting there. Cool. Okay. If your entrepreneur story was turned into a movie, that would be the, what would be the movie title? That would have to be, you know, you could choose whatever genre you wanted to, but what would be the movie title and which actor would you choose to play the role? Um, if, my, if my entrepreneurial journey would, uh, would it probably have to be called The Longest Yard, <laughs> um, which is the old football movie, The Longest Yard. And, and heck, if I get to pick somebody, um, oh, heck, why not go with, uh, well, he's a little younger than me, but, you know, <laughs> some, uh, some super good looking guy like Ryan Reynolds or, uh, <laughs> or you know, somebody like that. I, I can uh, I can age myself by picking some hot young guy. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, recommend a book that you think everyone in the Greatness Tribe should read. The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. It's one of the most underrated, and it's not that it's not that it's underrated like people underrate it. But you know, everybody everybody always says, "Oh, richest man in Babylon, think and grow rich." Best book, Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. Cool. And all the resources will be available, Greatness Tribe, on the show notes page of destinationforgreatness.com for this episode. Just have to go in and type and search for Chris Widener, W-I-D-E-N-E-R, and you'll find the show notes of this particular interview. Um, One last question, Chris. This is a litmus test question, and then we're going to let you go and you tell us where you can find you and look good as gold. Do you ever know when you are ready to be an entrepreneur? Do, do I ever know, or are you using that as a general term? Does you as a general mean, term. Do people know if they're ready to be an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you're tired of the status quo, I think when you when what you're doing isn't enough, and when you realize that if you were to do what you're doing right now for the rest of your life, you'd regret it at the end of your life, I think all of those are questions and decisions that people have to come to to make it realize that, you know what, this isn't enough for me. I need to strike out on my own. I can't work for somebody else anymore. I'm willing to overcome the, the, the obstacles. I'm willing to take the risks in order to live and achieve my dreams and help other people. Awesome. And how can Greatness Tribe find you online, Chris? Well, they can find me uh, on Twitter, at Chris Widener. They can find me on Periscope, at Chris Widener. They can find me on Facebook, uh, Chris Widener Speaker, and they can find me at uh, uh, on the web www.chriswidener.com. Awesome. And then of course, and then they can force find me all over Amazon. If you want any of my books, audio programs, anything like that, they can find me on Amazon. 
Get your hands on the books, the Greatness Tribe, especially The Angel Inside. That book will transform your life. It did. It impacted me, and it still does. That story stuck in my head till date. Uh, and you'll find a lot of details on it as well when you go to chriswidener.com. But I want to just say a big thank you to Chris uh, for taking the time and hanging out with us, Greatness Tribe, here. And, you know, um, Greatness Tribe, they say when you, when you hang out with successful people, you automatically get a bit of success rubbed off you, and that's when you turn out to be successful too. Uh, Chris, we really appreciate you for taking the time, mate. It was great chatting thanks with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I love to do these kinds of things. And I, I mean, think about you, you asked me the thing about businesses uh, that you would bet on podcasting. I mean, betting on guys like you who are jumping on to onto podcasting, this business that even though it's blown up the last couple of years, I mean, 10 years from now, it's going to be so huge. And I just admire what you guys are doing and, and uh, the way you're getting these messages out to people through the use of technology. Thanks, Chris. And I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be possible without having you, people like you, jump on and share and take the time and make the time because you, you've achieved so much and you've got such amazing stories and the gift that you, you're blessing people with. And, you know, people like Greatness Tribe will definitely find this useful. So we can't stop listening to it. You know, 10 years later, 20 years later, we can listen to this conversation and it will still be relevant and will still be useful because the principles will never change even the relationships. Do. So appreciate you. Greatness Tribe, jump on Greatness, um, on the Greatness Tribe group and Facebook, but also make sure you go to destinationforgreatness.com in the search bar type out Chris Widener and look for the show notes you'll download all the resources and you'll get all the conversations you had right there thanks a lot Chris have an awesome awesome weekend buddy thanks you too take care take care cheers